And today's reading is Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 11. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My sh soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, happy third Sunday of Advent to everyone. And finally, in our readings, we get something from Isaiah. And Isaiah 61 is a passage that maybe some of it you recognize. It's most uh, famous for those who, who have any familiarity with, with Christianity or have read through the New Testament, um, that this is the text, the, the beginning of which um, Jesus reads at, at the beginning of his public ministry um, in the synagogue in Nazareth, after which um, he is almost thrown from the top of a cliff. And so this winter and spring, actually, we're going to be moving into um, the Gospel of Luke as our, as our preaching series that's going to lead us up to Easter. And we're going to get to that incident in Luke chapter 4 again. And so, um, you know, Jesus, actually, I want to cover the portion of, of this Isaiah passage that Jesus didn't talk about. And when Jesus read from the Isaiah scroll, what, what Luke tells us is that he read verse 1 and then right at the beginning of verse 2, what we call verse 2a. And so there's almost a full um, uh, 10 verses to look at still. And so this is, you know, maybe what we hear today will help provide us with some helpful background when we get to that passage um, early in 2021. Now, I'm just going to, before I start my sermon, just acknowledge something um, about myself as, as, as a preacher. Um, and it's not just true for me. I think it's true for a lot of preachers. You know that uh, as a preacher, I love three-pointers more than, than Stephen Curry. And uh, I like alliteration more than even Dr. Seuss um, himself. And today, 
is going to be no exception, um, but actually, if, if I were going through this whole passage, it would be uh, the elusive four-pointer um, with alliteration, but I'm not going to give you that, because as we move through this passage, we, we have at the beginning a, a reversal uh, that Jesus is talking about. Then we have rebuilding, reassurance, and rejoicing. And so that reversal portion actually, I think, occupies the most, uh, mostly the portion of the, the, the three verses, which is most at the heart of what Jesus was talking about at the beginning. So we'll get back to that later. And so as we go through this passage today, the three things I want us to focus on are rebuilding and reassurance and then rejoicing. And so let me just set a little bit of context here. Isaiah 61, it's a passage that is focused. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So the voice of the one speaking is the Lord's anointed prophet. This person is anointed with God's spirit and then given a task. And that task is to go out and to proclaim, to herald, to preach, to share a message. It's to declare to God's people who are in mourning that their exile is is over. To preach joy to a people that are wallowing in sorrow. To give good news to, to a people who have been hearing nothing but bad news, you know, year after year, decade after decade, even century after century in some ways. And so the Spirit of God, it provides inspiration for the message, and, and, and it authorizes the messenger. So that's what it means when the Spirit of, of, of God is upon this person. It, it means that they are, are empowered and authorized. And so as we divide up this passage and what's happening, in verses 1 through 7, this is the prophet speaking. And then in verses 8 through 9, it, it, it's the Lord um, 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 responding to what the prophet has said. And then verses 10 and 11, it's the prophet speaking again on the basis of what he's heard from the Lord. So these are the voices that are going through here. So hopefully, you know, that helps kind of lay uh, the land uh, for this passage. Give us the lay of the land. So I want to pick things up, though, in verse 4 where the prophet begins to talk about, you know, so at first it's this message of what God is saying to the people. Then in verse 4, we get to what the people themselves are supposed to do, what he says they're going to do. It says in verse 4, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. All right, so they shall build up. They shall raise up. They shall repair. Who are the they that this prophet is talking to. The they, in the context of this passage, are the people of Judah who were taken into exile. The people who watched their beloved capital city of Jerusalem uh, fall to the Babylonians in 587 BC. And when that happened, the walls of their city were demolished to the ground. Their, Their temple was looted and then razed and desecrated. Their best and and their brightest, the educated, the elite, the wealthy, were taken away to serve in a foreign empire. And Jerusalem was rendered a shell of what it once was. It was essentially uninhabitable for decades. What had once been this prosperous and and, and gleaming and shiny, you know, limestone, uh, white city sitting on a hill. Something when you would come around, you would see the temple, you know, Mount Gleaming, and you would see this beautiful city rising up from the rocks on Mount Zion, sitting on Mount Zion. What was once this shining city on a hill was reduced to rubble and ruin. 
And then after the Babylonians were defeated by the Persians, the Persian emperor Cyrus, he, he authorized a group of Jews to return to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild. That's good news, but when they went back, they found that this work was, was dangerous, and it was daunting, and it was discouraging. Their progress was slow, and they were met at almost every single turn, but by difficulty and opposition to their work. So that's who the prophet is speaking to. The people who have been sent into exile. And even when they've returned, their exile isn't over because they've got to rebuild what's been torn down. And so Advent, I believe, is a season for us to be reminded of our need to to rebuild from the rubble. And this year has been a year, I, I think, of tearing down across so many different levels of, of society and, and in our individual lives as well. You know, this, this pandemic that's shaped much of, I mean, almost all of those past nine months, it's torn things down. It's torn down our ability to gather with one another at church or at school or, or just with our family or our friends. This plague, it's also exposed kind of these cracks and fissures um, in, in the structure of our society as we divide ourselves into, you know, who's an essential worker and who's a non-essential worker. Think about that. Being told you're not essential. You know, being told what's an essential activity and what's not an essential activity. Um, between those who can work from home and between those who are told, hey, you need to go and be on the front lines doesn't matter. So this kind of social fabric, the social structure of everyday life and community, the things that provide us with solidity and structure and a a foundation and boundaries on which we live our lives, those things have, have cracked and they've crumbled in many cases. And then this, uh, you know, what happened in, in Minneapolis on May 25th, the killing of George Floyd, it's torn down in some ways our, our blinders to racial injustice, and it's opened old wounds, and it's served as a reminder that even though, you know, we've come so far, we still have so very far to go. And it, you know, is also an occasion, occasion opportunity by, by bad actors, people who have no interest whatsoever in, in working uh, to remedy injustice and, and, and to work for racial progress. It's, it's used by people who have no interest in that struggle as an excuse to literally reduce sections of our beloved city and cities across this country to rubble. And kind of this spirit of anarchy, nihilism, and then we had this, you know, contentious election. We all knew it was coming, but I don't think we had any idea of how bad it was going to be. And, and, and it exposed just how much we're, we're coming apart and just how precarious this all is and, and how, you know, it, 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 maybe this entire experiment in a, in a pluralistic, you know, democracy and in a federalist system um, is teetering, is perilously close to toppling over. You know, our body politics, in so many ways, it feels like it's in ruins. It's rubble. You know, four years ago, I remember um, that we had celebrities. Uh, we had a, 
whoever the guy was, Jedediah Bartlett, Martin Sheen, you know, we had this video of celebrities saying, talk, talking to the electors of the Electoral College saying, you know, you don't have to vote for who won the election. That's built into the system. You know, but essentially in, encouraging the electors to steal the election uh, uh, from, uh, from Donald Trump after his election. And now we have the president himself claiming that the election was stolen from him on the basis of the most specious uh, and heavy air quotes here, evidence imaginable. And so polarization, demonization, those are the words of the day. And I think all of the incentives in media and in culture and in politics itself, it seems right now, all are, you know, incentivized. The incentive structure works to appeal to the worser, that's not a word, but I'm going to use it anyways, the worser angels of our nature. Lincoln talked about the better angels of our nature. Well, we, 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 we have a whole kind of media, social media and, and bigger media ecosystem appealing to the worser angels of our nature. Uh, Matt Taibbi wrote a book about this called Hate Inc. It's about kind of the media side of things. But the incentive structure within media is to make us hate people and hate things. And it's very effective. Very effective. And so as we survey the landscape, there's a, there's a lot of rubble right now at our feet. A lot of things have been broken, torn down, wrecked, and ruined. And as God's people, the message from Isaiah 61 is we have been tasked wherever we are with rebuilding. And rebuilding is hard. It's hard. Tearing down is easy. That's a cliche, but it's very true. Anyone can do demolition. You know, any, any old person, if you can swing a hammer, if you can rip something out of a wall and throw it in a dumpster, anyone can do demolition. It's not that hard. But building is hard. It takes skill and, and knowledge to do construction. Anyone can pick something apart. But not just any person can put back together. It's easy to say, you know, what someone else is doing wrong, always easy to identify that. But it's a lot harder to put yourself out there and be a part of making things right. And so here's what I think it takes to, to rebuild, kind of rebuilding that Isaiah is talking about here. In order to rebuild, first, you need a plan. What is it exactly that you're trying to rebuild? And so when, 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 when the exiles got back, you know, you can't just assume that you understand where everything goes and what you're trying to do. And it's an important point for us, because as we try to put things back together, we got to ask, what is it that we're trying to put back together? What's our telos? What's our end goal? What's our purpose in doing this? Sometimes people don't have a clue. For the returned exiles, they needed to know, okay, so where are we going to rebuild the temple? What are we going to use for that? Is this a wall? Is this a home? Is this the citadel? What are we doing? So each of those rebuilding projects, it required a different plan. Each, each, each rebuilding project has a different end goal in mind. And so as we begin to, to rebuild the rubble we see around us, um, this can be at a meta, kind of a, you know, larger societal level at the city level. But, but even, you know, there's been some things torn down, I know, in our own lives and our own families too this year. I'm sure of it. I'm sure there's some very broken relationships, some very broken patterns of interacting with people, some, some very broken ways, think, ways in which you're, you yourself or your family, things are broken around you. So supplies to that as well. You need a plan in mind when you get there. 
And that causes us to go back to first principles when we do that. Okay, what does it mean to, to build, rebuild a church? Okay, what are the materials we need to do that? What are the, uh, the, the sine qua knowns? And that's Latin to mean, you know, without which not. Like, if I don't have this thing, it's not a church. It's not a family. It's not a, you know, educational system. If I, I need these things. You know, what about a family? If we're rebuilding that, what does that take? Family system, family relationships, what does that mean? A, an educational system. After all this distance learning, what does that mean? Public safety. What does that mean? The body politic. So in order to rebuild, you have to have a plan, an end goal, and and a sense of of the materials that are available to you. Rebuilding, it requires patience. Tearing down is fast and easy. You know, any project, I've watched enough HGTV, and I've done some of this myself, it's demo day. They love demo day. It's not building day. You know, the demolition takes a moment. The building takes months and months. It's, it's laborious. It's slow. It's painstaking. Uh, progress is measured in fits and in starts. There's always setbacks, inevitably. And so progress is only measured over time, and it only comes as you stick with it. And so we need to be reminded of that as we engage with God in the work of rebuilding what is broken in ourselves and is broken in this world that if we are going to engage in that work, it's not demo day. Right? We've got to stick with it for the long haul. Stick with each other for the long haul. And there's going to be times we want to quit. And it's okay sometimes. Sometimes some people got to take a break. That's okay. But there's going to be times that we're going to want to quit. But it's only going to work if we put in the time and the effort, you know, day after day, month after month, week after week, year after year. And then we do everything we can, you know, first to make sure that we're building on a solid foundation so that this whole thing doesn't just come crashing down. And the last thing I want to say about rebuilding is that it requires cooperation. You know, we need each other for this work because each one of us has different gifts and skills and ability, and we have a different story and a different background and a different experience and a different per- perspective and, and, and a different temperament, um, you know, different graces granted to us by the Lord. That, that's, that's what Paul's talking about. He says we're one body, but we have many parts, and each part needs the other part because it's an integrated whole, an integrated whole organism. And when we rebuild, that's, a, that's just a, a, a true manifestation of that point. And when I was watching the, the building project that took place for Elevate, it was amazing to see all these different trades kind of coming together and working. You know, you had the electricians, and you had the masonry cutters, and you had the framers, and then the elevator installers, and the drywallers, and the carpenters, and the painters. Everyone had to work in, together in coordination and line up the timing and everything to get the job done. And so in order to rebuild, we've got to get, you know, all the workers, that means like all the stakeholders together, which can actually be really hard. Because if you're familiar with one type of person, it's just easier to work with them, you know, and not bring in the other people because you don't know them and you're not sure. If you're just an electrical person, easy to just work with electricians. You know, I think where this applies, an example from outside the church, but even in our, our current city, you know, the city of Minneapolis, city council of Minneapolis says, and the mayor, too, says they want to rebuild public safety. Okay. One of the biggest problems with that is as you commit yourself to that, you got to bring everybody 
together. And I think one of the mistakes made early on by certain people on the city council is that they were present at a rally at Powderhorn Park and they got caught up in the moment and they said yes to that. But then you got to bring in other people too. you got to bring in the regular normies living all over the city. People represented by folks like former Representative Don Samuels who's saying, you know, yes, we want reform and we want public safety in our community. And you got to bring in, when you talk about public safety, you got to bring in the cops too. Even if you see them as a part of, of, of the problem or something that's been broken in this, got to bring them to the table. That's hard when there's acrimony and animosity. You know, but uh, 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 what we want is something that works for everyone in our city. In order to do that, you got to get all the builders present. That's going to be hard, hard work. But uh, one of our elders, John Strand, wrote a really thoughtful letter to the editor uh, months ago that was published in the Strib. He said this. He said, we need something that works for everyone. Because if we don't, then we know what's going to happen. The people who have the most resources are going to make sure they're taken care of. And everyone else, it's not going to work for them. So the people are called to, to, to rebuild. But after that, we get, we get the voice of, of the Lord as this word of reassurance that he will make an everlasting covenant with the people. And so what this means, you know, right here is that the voice of God is making a promise that he's committing himself to the people. And when God makes a promise, that's a wonderful assurance. Because God is a God who keeps promise, who keeps his word. His word is unbreakable. And so thus, as we go about the hard work of rebuilding, as we face, you know, the ups and the downs, the, the, the zigs, the zags, the peaks, the valleys, you know, back, steps forward, backward, pick your cliche, triumphs, trials. In the end, we know that no matter what we do, as long as we bring, Matt uses this phrase, our broken best to the table, we know that God is going to be the one who will finish it in the end because what God starts, God finishes. In us and through us. He's going to do that. And so the good news of Advent is that even in the midst of the rubble, God has promised he's committed himself to this project. He's committed himself to us. He's going to build something new and he's going to build something better. You know, even if we don't see it right now, and even if we don't live to see it, he's going to do it. And, that, and that's the greatest news of all, that God has committed himself to us. He's committed himself to this project. Because as the psalmist says, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And this word of assurance that God gives, it's replete actually with allusions to God's original commitment that he made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, right? That, uh, through you, through your family, through your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. In verse 9 in our passage, it says, you know, God says, their offspring shall be known among the nations, their descendants among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them. They are the offspring the Lord has blessed. So we have these two magical words from 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 God's promise to Abraham, offspring, seed, and blessing. That's a special word that God uses for Abraham's children, his descendants. And so this seed contained in it is the promise of blessing, the promise of life, the promise of prosperity and flourishing and justice that God brings into the world through the lives of his servants. So we've been called to rebuild, but we've, given, we've been given this reassurance, this blessed reassurance 
that God is with us in the work to bring about his blessing. And so finally we get to the response after that. So, you know, the word is rebuild. God reassures, I'm in this with you and I'm in it for you. And then the response to that at the end is rejoicing. As the prophet says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. And so the anointed prophet of Isaiah 61 celebrates in advance because of assurance what God is going to do. And so celebration in the darkness amidst the rubble, it is in itself, it's an, it's an act of faith because it's, it's an anticipation that the belief that the God who makes promises is also the God who will see them through and keep them. And so right now, this should be an encouragement to us that as we stand amidst the rubble that is 2020, we're being invited to, to sow seeds that are going to bear fruit for the kingdom. Bear that fruit of righteousness and praise before all the people. And so right now, even as we mourn all the losses, the, the, the people we've lost, whether we know them or not, we know there's a lot of loss and a lot of grief out there. As we mourn in the things that we haven't been able to do or enjoy for months on end, the people we haven't been able to see or touch or hug, we can still enter into a season of celebration. Celebrate like it's wedding season because God is on the move. And so Isaiah 61 teaches us that Christians should party and celebrate even in the rubble. Not because we don't mourn what's been, what's been lost or what's fallen or been destroyed. There is a, you know, Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time to mourn. But there's also a time to rejoice because of the greater things that God has in store for us. And one of the things that I'm most looking forward to in 2021 that I cannot wait to do are all of the celebrations, to, to double down on all of those celebrations that we have missed out on in this past year. You know, how many parties we're going to get to have with people we don't even know yet. Well, of course, people we know, but people we don't even know yet, we're going to have things to celebrate together. And I hope that in each and every one of those celebrations that we have, we remember that God is rejoicing right along with us. He's in the midst of our celebration because he's the one who's lifted us out of the trouble of the rubble. Because sorrow may last for the night, but joy, the promise always is that joy comes in the morning. So that's coming. That's coming. And so while it might be night now, there is daylight that is dawning. Isaiah tells us so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord, we give you thanks and praise that you are a God who can take ruins and make of it something far beyond what we could ask or imagine. We're thankful that you are the God who has committed himself to being our God and to us being your people through, through thin and thick. And God, even through our rebellion against you. And so, Lord, we pray that we, you would make us cooperative with you in the task you've set before us. We thank you for your assurance that you are with us. And God, we thank you that you invite us to celebrate and to rejoice and tell us that a day, a day of celebration is coming sooner than we think. Amen.